Welcome to the Healthy Business Matters podcast, where business owners, HR professionals, and insurance brokers can unlock the hidden potential within each employee by leveraging concierge healthcare. In each episode, your hosts unpack navigating solutions like theirs to drive better employee engagement, productivity, and more importantly, overall quality of life. So grab your morning coffee, start your commute, and welcome your hosts, Nathan Barr and Dr. Andrew White. Hi, everybody. This is Dr. Andrew White. Nathan Barr, Health Barr. And we are with the Healthy Business Matters podcast. In today's episode, it's an exciting day. We are interviewing the gu- a guest for the very first time, a f- good friend of mine, uh, personal friend Mike Hill from Total Control Health Plans. What's up, Mike? Hey, great to be with you guys. Excited about the conversation today. Yeah, excited to have you here. So Mike and I have known each other for probably about five years, I believe. And when we first met, uh, Mike, you were with a different agency. But the context in which I was introduced to Mike was actually I was talking to a friend about what, at the time, Align & Co. was still a fever dream. It wasn't even you know real yet. And I, it was just a passion around a need that I saw. And I was talking to a business owner who told me, well, if you're going to get into this world of kind of creative benefit solutions, you should really talk to Mike Hill. And uh, Mike's been a friend ever since, a colleague, someone that I work with. Uh, and so I was really excited to have you on, Mike. Uh, and if the audience doesn't know you, I think they will enjoy hearing your story and learning a bit more about you. Uh, so I guess the the first, I'd love just to hear or for you to share uh, a little bit about kind of your background and uh, just a general overview of where you started and where you are. Perfect. Happy to do it. So um, I am founder of Total Control Health Plans, started it in late 2017, early 2018. Um, ultimately, we're an employee benefits agency, but we focus on a really kind of specific niche. Um, how I stumbled into employee benefits with my poli-sci degree is still a bit of a question, but uh, <laughs> I, I attempted to be a professional sailor for about nine months after graduating, and both my parents and I realized that it wasn't the long-term vision we yeah. e- either of us had. But uh, you still do some sailing. Yeah. Yeah, I, I believe you did the regatta, right, recently? I, I did, yes. Yeah, still do a bunch of sailing. Did my 28th Chicago to Mackinac this year, so that's uh, fun, fun. a highlight of the year mm-hmm. for us. Reason I raise sailboats is because hand-eye coordination isn't a re- prerequisite for that particular <laughs> sport. So, um, through through a sailing relationship, I, I I got into employee benefits, and that was the first of three stops in my professional career. Uh, was with a insurance agency in, in Grand Rapids from '01 to '09. Uh, started an insurance agency with uh, some friends in '09, and and th- that was great. Unfortunately, until it wasn't uh, in 2017. Sometimes partnerships dissolve and, and ours did and and uh, so uh, two of the three of us ultimately left and turned 40 that year and it gave me the opportunity to really figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up and what I knew is I loved working with employers loved trying to be creative and help them find solutions that they weren't traditionally presented mm-hmm. but I hated selling other people's stuff and what I mean by that is a traditional insurance agency is selling other people's products and when things go sideways, we're the ones that have to do the explaining, but uh, we don't have good answers when that comes. So yeah. really when I had the opportunity to think about what I wanted to do in the next stage of my career, I, what I wanted to do is focus with employers and present them with solutions they have not seen in the marketplace in the past, help them build custom self-funded health plans to manage their health plan like every other aspect of their business, yeah. and to really be able to give them meaningful answers to the good questions they always ask and never get good answers to. Yeah. yeah. 
So how did, so in making that transition and getting away from that traditional agency approach and more of this custom approach, uh, what was the thought process leading up to that transition? What were you seeing in the market where you were like, this is just unsustainable. We can't keep doing this as, as an industry. Like what were those, those key markers and trends that you were seeing in the market that said, we got to do this different? You know, it's as simple as um, this particular anecdote is that in employee benefits, we, one of the key roles that we play is employee education. Mm-hmm. You guys have talked about that a lot on your podcast, engaging employees. Mm-hmm. Uh, so having to stand up in front of employees 100 plus times a year, explaining to them that their health insurance just got more expensive, but wait, there's more. We also made it worse. That's only a story mm-hmm. you can tell so many times until you, you've had it. Um, and the reality is... Health insurance is a massive tax on the working people of the United States, and it's an unsustainable uh, model. Uh, There are folks making tons of money in health insurance and and certain aspects of health care, but the bottom line is the vast majority of people that interact with health insurance and the health care system are not having a great experience and are simply just being put through the ringer. So what I told myself, I got a 25 plus more years of my career in front of me, do I want to keep having the same conversation over and over again? And the mm-hmm. answer was no. Uh, so we want to give ourselves the best chance to tell the story differently. And that's what Total Control Health Plans is all about. Yeah. So one thought that just came to mind, you know, we, one of our mutual clients uh, I was talking with, and when they made the switch to working with you, I was working with their, or our company was working with their employees, and I remember having conversations with some of the general employees about just the change in their health benefits and their perception of it, and I think a common barrier that I would imagine a lot of business owners or leadership teams are thinking about when they're, if you are talking with them about you know changing their benefits or getting creative with it, is that perception around change and e- even though the three of us at this table know that often the the plan that they're moving away from is not serving the general employee well there's that fear of change of, from any general employee and then the perception that you know what is this and uh, and is this you know better i feel like my benefits just got worse or what have you so when you you were describing a moment ago the getting in front of a lot of employees and having to have that hard conversation around, hey, you're, this is more expensive and worse. So when you are framing the conversation with a business owner around trying to make a big change to something that is very new to them in the creative benefit space, how do you try and frame those conversations with the employees? I think business owners, naturally, as we're looking at how the dollars and cents flow, it can start to make sense pretty quickly at times. But how do you translate that well to the employees when you're presenting to the general population within a company of how this is also going to help them win as well? Great question. Uh, it's a, that's the hardest part. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. So our, the two employ- types of employers that seek us out are either you know, privately held entrepreneurial uh, employers that don't take no for an answer on anything and are tired of taking no on health insurance. Mm -hmm. And so just being able to know that they can pull the levers that they want to pull and manage their plan well, Mm -hmm. that's the vast majority of our customers that that this type of model is ideal for. There are other employers that basically said, listen, the option is we either need to figure out a new solution and slice costs dramatically or we're out of the health insurance game altogether. Mm -hmm. And we may even be closing our doors entirely. There are ways to dramatically reduce the cost of health insurance um, in very quick order but the quicker you do it, the more aggressively you do it, the more noise and disruptions there are going to be. Mm-hmm. Here's the bottom line. 
people hate health insurance. It doesn't mm -hmm. matter where it comes from, whether it's a plan we build or Blue Cross Blue Shield. Um, the challenge that we face is that even though folks love to complain about Blue Cross Blue Shield, it's the devil they know. Yeah. And what we're attempting to do is no, do a couple things. Build plans that actually want to work for the member, meaning here's one of the kind of head scratchers in healthcare. Mm -hmm. Health insurance carriers know that not all healthcare providers are created equal. Some mm -hmm. are better than others. Yep. There's objective data that will tell you that. But they don't build their plans to drive people to highest quality providers. Mm -hmm. They are thinking about many other things than getting employee A to provider B that's gonna get me the employee healthy as quickly as possible. That's what the plans that we build do, but it feels different and it's yep. cumbersome and it's it's more along the bureaucratic line that people are accustomed to until they fully understand why we're doing what we're doing. And so the bottom line is it's employee education that is really, really yep. important. We gotta deliver the message more than once a year at open enrollment. It's benefit education. We handle do it multiple times a year. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons that we are so bullish about what Health Bar and Andrew, your company Align and Co mm -hmm. are doing is that you are providers that mm -hmm. can reinforce the message that this is not a healthcare plan that's trying to yeah. fight with someone, but it's trying to deliver something better. Correct. Yeah. Where we really get to kind of say we told you so in a very nice way to employees <laughs> is year two, year three, and four, year four. So the client you were referencing just implemented a total control health plan in September of 22. Yep. We made their plan better in 22. We made it better in 23 in terms of reducing employee liability yep. and employee costs have stayed the same for three years now. Mm -hmm. That's a great message to be able to deliver. We've got another client in Wisconsin going into year three. Mm -hmm. Costs have remained the same for three years and now in 24 the costs are actually gonna go down and, and we've made their plan better at the same time. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. we need help like from people such as yourself to reinforce mm -hmm. the message to yep. get people to kind of buy in initially and yep. once we start getting some traction, yep. it speaks for itself. The direct-to-employer, you mentioned you have health systems and the quality rankings and how do you filter good from bad and all that kind of stuff is really, really tricky, especially being a clinician in the system, even knowing who the good providers are within your hospital um, can be hard. So seeing that these direct-to-employer strategies are becoming more and more prevalent, and I would say um, preferred in a lot of situations, but they're not all created equal. So knowing that there's going to be more of these as an agent advising companies to adopt these solutions what are you looking for to say here is the better solution here is the best solution what are some of the things from a type of services they deliver what are some of the qualities they have uh, maybe go into that a little bit of things how do you filter some of those solutions to provide the best quality to your clients as well one of the criticisms of my particular industry and in, is that we are ultimately as brokers built to sell products that's mm -hmm. what the agencies are all about uh, yeah. united healthcare will come in and show me their new products that i will then take out and sell to the marketplace and you name the carrier they've got a product so one of the challenges with direct contracts is is many of my competitors will view a direct contract as another product another shiny object of something i have and they don't have mm -hmm. I believe there's a time and a place for direct contracts. I mean, all about transparency. We want the people that are writing the checks to know what they're gonna be paying ahead of time. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Yep. But one of the challenges or downsides about direct contracts is, let's be real, the providers are entering into this because they're trying to get more business in the door. Yep. And so in return for giving a direct contract with better pricing and more transparency, some of these providers are looking for us to drive patients more volume that way. Yeah. I get it, I'd do the same thing. Yeah. But then we got to think about just because someone wants to do a direct contract doesn't mean that we should because as we just talked about not all healthcare providers are, provi are created equal nor healthcare systems mm -hmm. are created equal so for example mm -hmm. trinity in grand rapids has had a direct to employer solution 
which they want then you to tier the benefits to incentivize usage of Trinity versus Spectrum or University of Michigan. Yeah. That might make sense in certain applications, but not for every single medical situation. There's no way. So what we want to do with our clients is talk through the different options, make sure we understand the pros and cons of all of them. Maybe a direct contract makes sense, but thinking about it not as a product, mm. but one tool in the toolbox to accomplish the overall goal of paying less for high-quality health care and getting our employees as healthy as they possibly can be as quickly as they can be. Yeah, yeah it makes a lot of sense. I've always been always railed against the concept of networks in healthcare because it's like, why should you only have to choose from these providers when you know this person needs something different, but they're in tier two or tier three, and you have this huge debacle on what something costs and all of that as well. So internal frustration of my own along in the system too, uh, but definitely a very real, very real issue that exists. Yeah. Yeah. And just circling back to the, the points you were making, I think the, one of the things that I know both Health Bar and us at Alinico often try to do when we're working with the employees of the organization outside of just obviously trying to improve their health as much as we can is to your point helping to educate them on how to use the healthcare system and one of the things that I'll often talk about in our sales process with leadership teams is that there's a burden to knowledge there's things that you and I and Nate think of as completely intuitive when it comes to navigating the healthcare system or just health in general that can be revelational to general employees and that can come down to even something as simple as that they have choices that there's they don't have to just accept the uh, the first opinion of a provider that they speak with and that oftentimes uh, they don't even realize that there might be financial incentives to the provider they're speaking with to go a certain way. Like there was a client in the, or an employee in the client that we were just referring to that was a 38-year-old man who was told he needed a knee replacement surgery. And when we had our mobile unit on site and I was examining his knee and took an x-ray, it was clear he had mild osteoarthritis, but you definitely need, need a knee replacement right now. And so when I walked him through the three different options that I would try and walk if I had his issue. All three were new and novel ideas to him, and he was shocked that he had never heard of any of them. And so I think, to your point, there's that education goes a really long way, and something I really appreciate about what you do is that while it might be more cumbersome and may, maybe take more time, at the end of the day, what I always try to encourage employees to say, like, I don't think it's my job as a provider to tell you what you have to do. I think it's our job to try and help you understand what's wrong, uh, what are the potential risks of doing nothing, the potential benefits of something, and what are the some things. And at the end of the day, it's your body, so you can choose what you do with it. You could choose the easy button, and it might be not what I would say. And but to your point, I think there's the reality is that most people don't even realize there are choices, and that's what often, unfortunately, leads to poor outcomes, frustration, distrust in the healthcare system from the general employee. So again, that's something I just wanted to highlight that I appreciate about you. Uh, and it's something that you know, we work hard to reaffirm with obviously the employees in those inside those organizations. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, one of the things too, is I'm thinking about the conversation. I, I've said it a lot too, but I, I, I think health insurance sucks. I, I, I hate health insurance. You should try selling it for a <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's hard enough working within the system with it, but then yeah, trying to sell that. And but like you said, it's a necessary evil, right, for organizations. They got to do it. So 
navigating, I think you touched on it a little bit too, but navigating that plan design going from that kind of that fully insured to self-funded model and some of the fears that, that exist there. But I think we're seeing it a lot in trending right now. I saw some recent statistic that the majority of businesses, you know, 200 to 300 and above now are shifting more predominantly to self-funding versus fully insured. And obviously that number seems like it's getting lower and lower. Businesses of 100 even or 150 are moving there. As what you're looking at in the industry and seeing the trends occur on your end, um, do you see that self-funding trend continuing, picking up steam? And if so, um, how do you think it impacts your or your business and your organization and how you're going to grow? Great questions. And, and you both have touched on very key uh, points. So, Nate, I'll speak to your question mm-hmm. first. And then, Andrew, I'd like to weigh in a little bit on the, what you were talking about as well. Bottom line is what total control health plans are, they're not a product, they're philosophy. Um, and basically the philosophy is this, that for us to achieve a different result, we have to do something different. We need to give ourselves the ability to pull more levers than we can in a fully insured environment. So our bread and butter ultimately is helping employers build a custom self-funded plan that meets their needs. Mm-hmm. Make, you know, so there, there are new, no two plans that are created equal. Mm-hmm. But leveraging the concept of self-funding to build a plan to achieve better results clinically and financially. That's yeah. what we're all about. Historically, when I got into the industry back in early 2000s, in Michigan anyway, the, the kind of the rule of thumb was 100 employees and more, we could consider self-funding. You know, worked with groups in Florida that had five, 600 employees that were still fully insured. So it kind of wow. depended geographically where you were, but about 100. One of the limitations is that when you build a self-funded plan, you need a component called stop loss or reinsurance that's going to protect you from catastrophic claims. Yeah. Finding stop-loss insurance that worked for smaller employers was the hard part, or it was so expensive that when you put it all together, the math just didn't make sense. Mm. The stop-loss and reinsurance market has evolved a lot in the last decade, and so we've got clients with 35 employees that are self-insured. And so I believe I'm very excited about what the future for self-funding holds. Um, there's a lot of opportunities. It's not right for everybody, and there, you, you need to go into it eyes wide open for sure. But long story short, we believe self-funding makes sense for many different reasons. And what we're really kind of make a key differentiator, you can self-insure with a commercial insurance company. There's you know, the green one and there's the blue one in the state of Michigan. Yep. You can self-insure <laughs> with them. But in reality, in that environment, generally what you're doing is running your money through the exact same model they manage their fully insured plan with. And so it's not going to operate any differently generally. The basis of a total control health plan is working with an independent administrator that has full transparency that is basically the big green Lego block that you can build then all the different pieces you want for your particular plan onto. Hmm. That's ultimately where we believe employers need to go to achieve the best result. Yeah, yeah, makes complete sense. Do kind of within the state, you mentioned geography, and I think maybe that's a topic for another day because it's really intriguing to see the geographic differences in insurance markets. You mentioned here in Michigan and then in Florida, um, different insurance providers, the whole stop loss side. So I'd I'd love to go down that path someday. But but also too thinking about you know as as that need continues to grow for for the industry truly and these businesses. Um, you know, the solutions also need to grow in tandem and alongside of that. How do you see those solutions? How do you see partnering with and pairing with those solutions yourself as an organization um, and and saying, hey, maybe go to market with different strategies or thoughts? Great question. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so from our perspective, when we're meeting with employers uh, at the outset and then on an ongoing basis, we, we remind them that 
a total control health plan from our perspective never arrives at the station. It's, it's a constant evolution mm -hmm. simply because there's so many components of health care that are evolving at a high rate of speed. A perfect case in point is prescription drugs and even a subset of that, what's happening with mm -hmm. gene therapy right now. Mm -hmm. uh, gene therapy is going to disrupt health insurance more than any other thing has in the last 50 years from my perspective mm -hmm. in the next five to ten years. Wow. Um, so we need to be constantly vigilant to understand what's coming down uh, yeah. down in the future from, from our plan perspective and make sure we're using strategies to address them. And there are lots of very smart people in our world uh, that are trying to come yeah. up with new solutions all the time. And so it could be a full-time job. It is a full-time job knowing about the mm -hmm. line and codes and the health bars and everything else that are mm -hmm. finding a little niche and doing a little bit better yeah. and introducing those concepts to our customers. Yeah, yeah. yeah you make a... A good point there that I think would be helpful to, for us and some of our audience to to flesh out. So, one of the barriers that I know Nate at Healthbar and us at Alinico run into sometimes when we're talking to insurance brokers is that to your point, there are I wouldn't necessarily classify what we do as corporate wellness, but we often kind of get lumped into that mm -hmm. term, and that term is it's not new and. I would argue traditionally corporate wellness kind of sucks. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I remember Amen. the first time uh, you and I met, we were having tacos and- I think I was late. You were late, <laughs> yeah. And uh, it was funny because you're, one of the first things that you brought up was, you know, are you just trying to do corporate wellness? Cause that kind of sucks. And I appreciated your candor right away because I agreed with you. I was like, yeah, man, I mean, I, I agree. But I believe, and Nate believes, that the concept has always been correct, the application has always been wrong, mm -hmm. because the barriers that exist to general Americans to good health care are money and time. So if you can subsidize it through work and meet people at work, you can really get ahead of it. And so to your point, I'm sure you are commonly getting approached by vendors that are maybe like us or uh, you might read about. You know, And so I'd be curious how you judge or how you try to vet or if you know if if we had a, another broker listening or another hr professional listening you know what are the what's the framework you use if you're reading about something or you hear about something new that's trying to fit into a niche where they're trying to focus on an area uh you know that makes you believe like this is legit or this just feels like it's going to be a waste of money great question uh, I'm in agreement on corporate wellness. I mean, in terms of uh, the philosophy is great. I understand what mm -hmm. we're trying to do. I think it has um, a number of benefits that aren't just related to health and saving money necessarily. It can help build culture yep. and bring people together. And, and, and so that's important. But traditionally, wellness uh, various are, is, is another product. Mm -hmm. And, and they get, if a customer, a traditional broker is asking, you know, has a client asking for wellness, they need to quickly go find another product they can sell. Generally, you're looking for some sort of compensation baked into it, a commission, because, mm -hmm. hey, if I'm going to sell a product, I usually get a commission, and so why not yours as well? And there's no accountability to actually someone coming back and saying, did this do what we intended for it to do? And I put that on employers, too, because they're accustomed to buying products and turning mm -hmm. them on and walking away because they got other fish to fry. Yep. What attracted me to both of your businesses, why I think there's a lot of alignment for us, is you're willing to put your compensation at risk based upon actually delivering what you say you can deliver. Mm -hmm. We do the same thing. We don't take commission wherever we possibly can. We 
oftentimes with our total control health plans, we'll tie a very significant portion of our compensation to delivering the key things that are important to whatever the customer wants. So certainly financial is a component of it. The plan performs well. We win if we don't. If it doesn't, we don't. Uh, so I think that's the first key piece. And then employers who are hiring these advisors, uh, looking for wellness solutions, you should be asking your advisor and the solution they bring to the table, what sort of ROI are they willing to put on their product and what sort of risk, what are they willing to put at risk? I think that's really, really important. And I challenge the brokers listening to this to start thinking that way. The market is going to change. And uh, you know, we, we put implemented a, a wellness solution with a client. It was uh, very targeted to focus on just diabetics. And we established a baseline with the cohort that we were going to be targeting and measured their A1C for that entire population. And the vendor was willing to commit to reducing the average uh, A1C by at least one point. And if they didn't, over the course of a year, they were going to give their entire fee back. Wow. Like, that's big time. And so yeah. now we know we're actually having the desired effect, mm. and everybody's working towards the same goal. So yeah. I guess... Th so I want to make it clear to those listening that both of your organizations believe in that and are willing mm -hmm. to do that, which is really important. Yep. Yep. And for the brokers, you should be asking those questions, and, mm -hmm. uh, and most aren't. Mm -hmm. So you will differentiate yourself if you do, and you can present those solutions to your customers. Yeah, I love the, the results-driven approach. I mean, so healthcare has been so transactional, and basically you're paying – well, you don't know who's paying for it, quite honestly, but healthcare is being paid for, and there's no – anybody holding them you know to the tape about results truly because they're going to get paid if they do something and so we talk about quality in healthcare and we talk about results but um, I think healthcare is trying to get to more of that results-based compensation but I think as an industry it's fighting it and maintaining this fee-for-service model and it will mm -hmm. for the I think foreseeable future um, just because it's such a massive industry with such a large pull and if they did tie it to outcomes truly tied compensation to outcomes, um, I think you'd start seeing the financial modeling of healthcare not work, and it's already not working in a fee-for-service model. So, um, no, I love the results-based kind of approach and, and saying, hey, what skin do you have in the game, truly? And I think then looking at, you know, who's paying you, I always like looking at, well, your, your payer is your customer. So to healthcare, the insurance companies are healthcare's customers. And so I love having the financial model switch to say for us as providers, look at the, the company and say, you're paying us, you're our customer and your people are our customers. Um, and our ability to thrive as organizations is dependent upon results. And that's how you, how you grow and sustain. So, Well, and I, I mentioned I want to circle back to a comment and question, Andrew, you raised earlier. And talking about the patient, ultimately, and Nate, you understand this, you came from a large healthcare mm -hmm. system and it wasn't unique there, but the patients are the product. And the more you can move through the system, the more money you make. And that's the reality because that's how the system is built. Mm -hmm. So patients aren't getting the best care. They, the providers simply don't have the time to think about what the best solution is for this. We have a $1.6 million claim we're dealing with right now for an individual that uh, presented to the emergency room, was having significant uh, uh, gastrointestinal issues, was also suffering from alcohol-induced uh, starts with an H. Cirrhosis? Uh, not cirrhosis, oh. but uh, hepatitis. hepatitis. Hmm. And so they knew that. Uh, yep. The next day, while inpatient, something went really sideways, and their immediate <laughs> thing they did was operate on the individual. Hmm. But with a simple Google search, you can understand that somebody that's in the midst of alcohol-induced hepatitis, the last thing you should do is operate on them. Hmm. As expected, person had complications, 
and spun out and spent two, two months in the ICU. Never should have happened if you just mm. go by the guidelines on what we should do in a situation like this. And so my point is that happens all day, every day. <laughs> and <laughs> that's why we want to inform employers that they have an opportunity to change this. <laughs> they can build plans that prevent those things from happening. And it's not that complicated to do. And you mentioned that the system is built the way it is. And unless we start pushing back, mm -hmm. and we, I mean, the collective we, the people writing the checks, the people that are actually getting mm. services done start pushing back, it isn't going to change because it's working for the machines. Uh, and so that's what we're all about, one little success at a time. It's going to take an army to make a, make a you know, change. But these things shouldn't happen. Yeah, Agreed. Yeah. And I, one thing I also want to circle back that you had mentioned before, just in case there's, again, an HR professional listening that has never uh, learned about or talked about. You know, to your point, Nate, uh, Health Bar and Alinico, we are very committed to looking at data and making sure that we're tracking our ROI and making sure that we're a good fit for an organization. And both of our companies have processes built before typically we ever talk to a client analyzing their historical claims. Now, we recognize, and I always bring up to the leadership teams that the historical data is useful, but it's not obviously telling the full story. These are only things that have happened, right? We don't know what hasn't happened. So once we get in, we're probably going to see some more things and uncover more because we can get your people engaged. But I wanted to, you to speak to briefly, you know, to, in order to get that data, though, the frustrating thing is that certain carriers are not very forthcoming. Or if they are, they don't usually give good information. So for even if you're trying to understand your dollars and trying to understand how to have targeted vendors or have vendors come in who are experts in niche concerns, in order to even do that well, you need good data. And I think it would be useful for you to speak to, you know, the, the differences uh, if you're going to talk to a client about using an independent like TPA or as instead of going with a large carrier and some of the transparency that exists with being able to get that information. Bottom line, in a fully insured environment, it's going to be challenging to get meaningful information on a consistent basis that, that does anything for you. Um, the exact opposite can be true in a self-funded environment, but the scale to which and the scope to which you get any detail from a self-funded plan varies dramatically by who the administrator is. Uh, we have one employer that happens to have two different administrators for various reasons. Uh, one is a traditional insurance company managing the self-funded plan for a portion of their business, and another is an independent TPA managing the self-funded plan for the other part of their business. And the, the detail you can get is astronomically different on the TPA side versus the carrier side. Yeah. And the frustrating thing is that the carriers will oftentimes hide behind HIPAA. We're all familiar with HIPAA. We sign the forms when we go to the doctor. Bottom line is you can access protected health information for treatment, which mm -hmm. is the work that you guys do, payment, which is the work that a self-funded plan does, or operation, which is what an employer does managing a self-funded plan. Mm. Bottom line, it's a fact. And so, yes, that is one of the things that we're all about is, is when we, when some carriers, insurance carriers may see us as a competitor, um, and we don't believe we're a competitor. We're just tired of hearing the word no, mm -hmm. and we're tired of things being a battle when it shouldn't be. So if the answer can be yes, and we can make this not an adversarial relationship, 
we're all about doing as much business with whoever mm -hmm. we can. But mm -hmm. the, what we know now is with TPAs, the answer is almost always yes. Mm -hmm. And generally with carriers, the answer is more often than not, not, it's either yes, but, or no. Yeah, I think there was a piece of, uh, it was, I don't know if it was legislation or, or even a legal court case happening in another state regarding an insurer's um, uh, business was requesting their, their information, their utilization data, and the insurer was like, no, you can't have it. Um, and they were going back and forth, back and forth, and it finally ended up in the courts, and the courts was like, no, this is your information as an organization and a business. You should have this. Um, so to see it get to that level and how contentious it can be is, is just bizarre. Uh, as we're talking organizations, it truly is like, these are your people. This is your data. Like, why are you hiding this? Um, and so it's, it's sad to see. And I think another layer of that onion, we got to peel back as we all push our strategies forward uh, to fix this to fix this problem. Um, so I'm, I'm curious too, as you were, you were talking about, you know, the problem is so great, and it's going to take all of us and more behind us to continue to do this work. So where does, uh, where do you see total control? Uh, in the future? Where, where are you growing it to? Are you wanting to make this, you know, national, regional? Like, where do you see your, your center of influence being, and, and where do you want to take that next step towards? So we work with clients that uh, have locations throughout the country, employers that are based throughout the Midwest. Um, we, we can, self-funded plans are uh, governed by ERISA, which is a federal law, so we can do whatever we're doing in any state. Um, and the bottom line is, though, we, as I mentioned, it's going to take an army to accomplish what we want to accomplish. We, we believe health and health care is too expensive. We believe it's too complicated. And we believe it's unsustainable on the current trajectory it's on. So we want to fix that problem. And we celebrate small victories every day where someone didn't have to pay 800 bucks this month for Humira, for mm -hmm. example. Mm -hmm. So it's going to take all of us. So uh, there are uh, many of us that in our industry that view the world the same way, that it's an all-for-one, one-for-all model that are willing mm -hmm. to help each other. And so we're all about helping anybody that is interested in knowing how to do what we're doing. Yeah. Uh, certainly, we'd like to grow our organization. I mean, I'm an entrepreneur. I've got kids to put through college, so I want to continue <laughs> to growing our organization as well. But, you know, growth for TCHP at the expense of helping more people be successful in doing this is not what we're all about. Awesome. So I... As we're wrapping up here, you know, I I wanted to let our listeners know. Uh, Mike is again; he's a good friend, uh, both of Nate, uh, both Nate and I. And so we plan on having him back on the podcast to dive into specific topics. Today, we really wanted to uh, have Mike come on and share a bit of his story and philosophy because I think it's refreshing uh, for brokers who might be listening, who might be feeling the way you did when you were still working in a system that you you saw some inefficiencies and you were bold enough to take the risk to make the leap yeah. uh, or HR professionals who again are flirting with the idea of you know just trying to make a change or they're just seeing double digit percentages in their uh, renewals every year and they're trying to figure out how to make this sustainable so uh, to wrap up I wanted to ask you uh, a question that we're planning on asking all of our guests which is, who is one person that you think we should be following right now uh, if we're in this space of creative benefits or uh, kind of on-site concierge stuff? I'd be curious if uh, just if you know of anybody who we should be following or is just really impressing you right now with the work that they're doing. I guess probably the biggest celebrity in our industry, and he's a competitor of ours, but he is a very um, – uh, 
he partners in, in amazing ways. He's just a wonderful individual and will do whatever it takes to help anybody be successful. His name is David Contorno. He's become a good friend. He runs uh, U-Powered Benefits, or E-Powered Benefits, excuse me, and he's going into year three now in, this, in January of the U-Powered Symposium, where he's bringing together all the innovators uh, from across the industry, whether insurance or medical management or whatever happens to be. David uh, and his wife, Emma, are, are doing a, a great job. They've just started their own podcast called The Healthcare Hangover, so you can check that out. But they are an open book fully committed to taking zero compensation to from insurance carriers, uh, fully committed to completely unbundled self-funded plans using reference-based pricing, and they have gone you know, to the nth degree mm-hmm. and very successfully. So um, you know, David is a competitor of mine, but if somebody was choosing between me and David, they'd be served very well by either one of us. And so I, if you don't know David Contarno, check him out. Listen to the Healthcare Hangover podcast, somebody that you should check out for sure. And uh, we got to figure out how to get you guys at the next uh, symposium in Puerto Rico in January. Yeah. Oh, awesome. I'll yeah. be there. <laughs> <laughs> Twist my arm, Mike. You know, I got to leave the gray abyss of West Michigan in January. Yeah. Uh, well, awesome. Well, again, we hope you've uh, enjoyed this episode of the Healthy Business Matters podcast. Uh, Mike, if people wanted to learn more about you, where could they find out more about you? Check out TotalControlHealthPlans.com, but more importantly, just check me out on LinkedIn, Mike Hill, and, and uh, Total Control Health Plans is also on LinkedIn. And, you know, however we can help, we'd be happy to collaborate with anybody and everyone just to make sure we can try to crack this nut. Awesome. So, yeah, if you found this valuable, uh, please like, share, subscribe, turn on notifications to our podcast. Again, uh, we are dropping podcasts every Tuesday morning. Uh, and uh, fun fact, you might hear in future episodes a random familiar voice that opens a podcast. That is our uh, abundantly talented uh, teammate, Cassidy. So uh, we might be, if you were watching online uh, or watching uh, on video for this podcast, you might have noticed that our setup is a little bit different. Uh, and if that's intriguing to you and you never watched the video, you should come check it out. Uh Nate and I are going to, uh, again, we've evolved in the podcast. We're, again, always looking for creative guests. Uh, so, again, if you know someone that you think would be a great guest to be on the podcast, please let us know. But, again, we hope that this has been informative, and have a great day. Thank you.